Live from WNUR News, I'm Brandon Kondritz. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. Tonight on WNUR News, an answer to why buildings on South Campus are suddenly locked, examining the comeback of boy bands, an analysis of childhood memories, and this week's edition of the NU Sports Report. Those stories and more coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. If you've tried to get into a South Campus building lately and encountered a locked door, you're not alone. South Campus has undergone a security makeover in the past few weeks. But why? What do students and faculty think of the new measures? Brendan Preisman has the story. If you've been walking around South Campus lately, you might have noticed a couple of new quirks at various buildings. Kresge Hall, which has had its letters removed and now replaced within the last few months, now requires students to scan their wild cards to get in. Many other buildings also either require a wild card for access or have their doors locked entirely outside of certain hours. A recent email to Medill community members revealed the depth and scope of these security measures, as well as why they were necessary. In addition to the recent incidents of theft and vandalism at Medill and elsewhere on campus, an individual unaffiliated with Northwestern University entered a private meeting in Kresge and made threatening remarks to the faculty, staff, and students in the room. NUPD was called and officers escorted the individual off campus. These events have led to new security measures at Kresge, Harris Hall, McCormick Tribute Center, Annie Mae Swift Hall, Fisk Hall, and University Hall. There is also a South Campus security guard now. Security cameras will be installed, and NUPD has been asked to come to the Medill School to conduct active violence training. So what do the students, who were mostly kept in the dark outside of the February 18th email, have to say about the new measures? And what caused them? Asher Smith-Frank. I just wouldn't expect that here. I don't know. I wouldn't expect that here. That's actually kind of crazy. Lexi Jordan. It is pretty surprising, because especially as a private university and one as elitist as Northwestern is, we've had two or three incidences just this year. Like, that's that we know of. It's sad, and it's something that should be a little bit better taken care of than it is right now. Selena Kuznikov. Obviously, it's wrong for people to be taking down the letters, but that's not something that might have an ulterior motive. That's just kids being kids. But when talking about vandalism inside the building, I think that's concerning. Medill and the university should be taking steps to figure out who did it. The measures and the various actions that have caused them, have also led to some fear among the student body. It doesn't feel good. The only word I have is surprised. Especially since I'm in Medill, it's like, I don't know if I'm sitting in lecture hall every Monday with the person who did that, said Smith-Frank. Kuznikov said, It's already been a couple of days, and I haven't heard about this until right now. If Medill doesn't tell their students about this, then how are we supposed to take care of ourselves? How are we supposed to watch out for ourselves and our friends? Lily Ogburn, one of the ASG senators for Medill, talked about potential action that the student government could take. It's definitely possible that legislation would be on the table, and maybe even looking into legislation about what was the concern. Is there a security concern here that this was able to happen, and that vandalism has happened consistently in Fisk Hall? So yeah, it's definitely on the table. Rob Brown, the Medill Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, appreciated the seriousness with which people were taking the situation. Just in terms of initial responses I've been, I've really appreciated how seriously people have been taking it. 
And, you know, despite, you know, potentially not having all the information that we might want. Brown also mentioned the importance of staying transparent on the part of the administration. Brown said the school wants to, quote, make sure there's clarity or as to what is happening, and then also trying to get a sense of if anyone was kind of around and has information to share. And then kind of our next step is to communicate more broadly to the students. But ideally, we're hoping to share more tangible action steps tied to what's happened. However, some students aren't sure if that's enough. Take Jade Thomas, a Medill sophomore. I would feel better about the situation if I knew for sure it wasn't a hate crime. But we don't know, so I would rather know why someone did that. I don't want to say there is something intentional about that, but I also don't want to lean into the idea that it might be a coincidence because issues of race continue to persist not only in this country, but also in this institution. Kuznikov agrees. I think this is just one instance in a long line of issues with Medill, and a long line of issues with supporting students of color and students of different backgrounds. Despite this, the Medill community is coming back strong from the incidents. Patty Lowe, a professor at Medill, stood firm in her belief that despite threats, the journalism community should stay strong. The fact that our building is open, I think, reflects the kind of climate we're trying to create in Medill. It's a place of idea exchanges. It's a place of people trying to amplify voices that are often silenced. It's a place that, you know, has pledged itself to notions of social justice. And I don't think that somebody coming in and violating that should make us change. Lowe says that despite all the threats journalism faces, both tangible and intangible, the profession can remain a bastion of goodness. This act isn't going to change that. You know, we're still going to have to be fearless. We're still going to write boldly. And we just have to stay the course. And staying the course is part of what journalism, and this station, is all about. For WNUR News, I'm Brendan Prizman. Moving on to arts and entertainment, the Jonas Brothers, Big Time Rush, and the Backstreet Boys. Old boy bands are making a comeback. But are they still successful? What do their fans think about their comebacks? Reporter Jessica Watts has the scoop. With many accolades under their belt, including two Grammy nominations, the Jonas Brothers added another one on January 30th as they received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. After breaking up in 2013, the Jonas Brothers made their official return in February of 2019, but have not released music since September of 2021. That all changes this May. Uh, we are excited to announce today that our new album, The Album, will be coming out May 5th. As you just heard from Nick Jonas, the Jonas Brothers are back with a new sound and they're ready to make their mark on the world once again. The eldest Jonas brother, Kevin, has said that their new music is inspired by the Bee Gees, another famous trio of brothers. However, since it's been over a year since they last released music, one has to ask, why come back now? And as for boy bands in general, why come back at all? Amanda Oliver, Medill first year and boy band enthusiast, has one possible answer. I think in part because they're obviously like those bands have been massively successful in the past and so I think there's definitely going to be this drive of like money involved. They know they can get back together and no matter how long it's been since they've been on tour there's going to be people like me and like countless other people who are going to be running the second they hear that they're going to be back and who will immediately sign up and be buying these tickets. The Jonas Brothers are not the only band to make a grand comeback recently. Boy bands like Big Time Rush, The Backstreet Boys, and New Kids on the Block have also made returns to the stage after breaking up. Emma Manley, Sespi First Year, shares their thoughts. I think 
there's demand. Like, people want to listen to them. I think it's been a while since we've had any, like, huge, huge mainstream boy bands. And also, like, people who were kids at the time of, like, their biggest popularity are now adults now who can stream music, buy merch, go to concerts and stuff. Um, and, you know, I feel like with COVID and just a general state of the world, people just want boy bands. Some boy bands have had more success the second time around than the first. The Jonas Brothers comeback single Sucker was the first Billboard number one debut for the group. However, other boy bands, like Big Time Rush, are struggling to gain the success and popularity they once had. Although they have been very successful with the resurfacing of their past music, Big Time Rush has not been able to reach the same number of people with its new sound. Between 2009 and 2014, Big Time Rush had four Hot 100 singles. However, none of their new music has made it on the charts. They have released new versions of their old songs like Paralyzed and Worldwide, as well as brand new singles like Not Giving You Up, Call It Like I See It, and Honey. Their current target demographic is teenagers and young adults who grew up watching their self-titled hit show on Nickelodeon as kids, many of whom have returned to their old music. From hits like Boyfriend and Worldwide, Big Time Rush is definitely on the soundtrack of my life, as well as the lives of many other Gen Z teens. I haven't really been listening to the new stuff. I feel like I, a big reason why I listen to it is because I'm like, I just want like the familiarity of the kind of music. So I mostly listen to old stuff anyway, but I think it's cool. Um, I'll probably like get around to eventually listening to it. Even though some boy bands may not be as popular as they used to be, the mark boy bands have made on the music industry cannot go unnoticed. Whether you believe boy bands started with barbershop quartets, the Beatles, the Jackson 5, or New Edition, they have begun to cause a trend since. Boy bands are now highly popularized globally and often produce some of the biggest solo artists in music after they break up. One Direction, arguably the most popular boy band of all time, had world domination and inspired other boy bands like Five Seconds of Summer, The Vamps, Pretty Much, and Why Don't We. They are also responsible for the making of Harry Styles, one of the most successful solo artists of all time. One Direction was one of my first concerts that I ever went to. Um, I went there for one of my like first like birthday presents. And at the concert, we had like like front row seats um and then they got into a water fight with the fans right there they all like randomly pulled out water guns like in the middle of singing and just started spraying water at each other they get up there and they're just like pranking each other on stage and it's just like watching a show like it's just way more like comedy central and i really liked that aspect of it so will boy bands continue to make returns to music if so who's next i guess we'll find out for now, we can look forward to the Jonas Brothers' new album. For WNUR News, I'm Jessica Watts. Finally, our oddity story for the evening. If you ever remembered a scene from a movie or a book and wondered if you made it up, you're not alone. Reporter Mika Ellison looks at the science of childhood media and memories, and she picks up some tips on how to find those books and movies along the way. Have you ever remembered something from the archive of your childhood? but not completely? Maybe a scene from a movie or a character from a book, but you just can't place the title? Well, you're certainly not alone. Maria Katsugodakis, an RTVF sophomore, definitely has. So there's this book that I can remember that we had at my, like, first through eighth grade. We had it in my library. I can, like, picture the title. I can remember it, like, the cover page, and I can tell you the entire plot of the story, but I have tried so many Google searches, and I genuinely, I cannot find the book. 
and I can't find like anybody else that has heard of this book, but I could tell you like a play by play. So is Weinberg sophomore Amaya Mikulik Berrios. I don't remember how old I was or when exactly this was, but at some point on a plane, I watched a movie and it was like the most whimsical, like magical, it was an animated movie. And I remember like thinking like, wow, this is transcendent. Like this is one of the most magical pieces of art I have ever consumed. But it was like on a plane and it was at night and I don't know, I was like really young. And, and so for years later, I was like, what was that? It was gorgeous. It was like a dream. Like many college students their age, Kasogradakis and Mikulik Berrios have nostalgic memories that are nearly impossible to find in the present. Luckily, Mikulik Berrios has ended happily. And I found it years later. It was like a random like Instagram or Pinterest post or something that had like the same like artistic style. I was like, wait, I know this from somewhere. And I was like digging for like half an hour. I was like, where is this from? And I finally found it. It's called Song of the Sea. And I watched it again and I was like, it's just as magical as the first time. And to this day, it's still one of my favorite movies. Unfortunately, Katsugradakis' story is less promising. But I have tried so many Google searches. I've tried like every single keyword I can think of and I genuinely, I cannot find this book. Of course, the natural course of action when you have a question about a book is to turn to your local librarian. In this case, it's the Evanston Public Library. So my name is Lorena Neal. I am the legal literacy librarian. So I do a lot of the legal programming, but I'm also the sci-fi and fantasy librarian. I spoke to Neal about what her first reaction is when someone comes up to her and starts with, so there's this book. It happens all the time, uh, either with you know books that are very popular right now and they're trying to remember that their friend just recommended to them. Um, and those are fairly easy to find usually because they're kind of top of mind. But then there are the ones that are, you know, I read this, it was in my grandma's attic, and I remember the color was yellow, and that was it. Neil says her go-to fix for this is Google Books, where you can type in anything from character names to plot points, and Google's search engine will comb through entire books to find the closest match. Knowing when you last read the book is also beneficial, because you can narrow down the publication date. In fact, Neil used those exact tips to find her own bookish white whale. Uh, a book that I was obsessed with in sixth grade and I read over and over from my school library. And it was, it was about a goldfish that was released into a stream and sort of lived the rest of its life into, in the wild. And I wanted to get it for my own kids later and I could not for the life of me remember the name or, or anything except this one sort of very vivid scene. And Google Books found it for me. It's called Troubled Waters. <laughs> Many of the books people want to find again are from an early time in their life, usually elementary or middle school. I asked Neil why she thinks people are more likely to want to find those books again. A lot of the books you read in childhood just have that magic to them of exposing you to a new idea or a new thought for the first time, and people want to kind of recapture that feeling of wonder. So these, these books are often very sentimental for that reason, I think. I asked children's librarian, Brian Wilson, if his section gets these questions a lot. We call them stumpers. And it's usually someone who said, I read this book to my child when they were younger. And now I have a grandchild and I want to read that book, but I can't remember. He says they pop up about once a month and he has several strategies for finding the book. He starts with a library's catalog and then turns to larger search engines like WorldCat and the Internet at large. New York Public Library did a thing about like a list of like crowdsourcing. You know, you can go to like listservs, you can go to like these groups and they could possibly help as well. Also, oh yes, I have to back up. 
I ask my coworkers, I ask my colleagues, I ask people in my department, you know, and I ask friends, you know, I do ask if it has to go, hey, do you remember this? And, and sometimes that really does help. Growing up in the digital age, however, means that our childhood memories are of more than just novels. It's like this little, this little guy, and he was like in his bedroom at night, and then he was like, would be like a superhero, and like... In his pajamas. In his pajamas, and he would go on like superhero missions, and you'd play as him and whatever. Oh my god, was it called Pajama Sam? That was Sarah Gronich. A Medill senior who struggled to remember a video game she used to play as a child. I think it was just like epitome of like nostalgia in terms of like childhood culture, especially like growing up when you had like this like combination of playing video games, but then also like playing outside. I remember like coming home dirty, you know, from playing out in the mud or whatever, then going to take a shower and then coming on my little PC and like pressing buttons with my little six-year-old hands to play these silly little games. I just... It's just so nostalgic. But which of these video games and TV shows stay with us? And why? To find out, I turn to the realm of science. My name is Brenielle Emley. I am a PhD candidate in the Media, Technology, and Society program here at Northwestern. Lumley told me that childhood media can be responsible for children learning everything from science and math to social skills. What kids learn early on in their lives as young children has been shown to have some sort of effect down the line. This is just kind of in general, just like if they're learning more math or science in preschool, like that'll help them in the long run as well. Lumley also told me that our childhood shows and movies meant a lot to us because in a lot of ways, characters were more than just figures on a screen. A lot of research has shown that the kids can develop like attachments to different characters on the show. Um, and so like a good example of this is say like Elmo from Sesame Street, like kids can have an attachment with Elmo and then any like things that Elmo says a lot of times will transfer over and they'll remember a lot of what Elmo is with teaching them on the show. These books and movies don't just mean a lot to us because they taught us things. To a young child, they were familiar friends. And when you finally find that book you've been searching for, or that cherished old movie you still remember, it's like reuniting with an old friend. A couple hours after our conversation, Katsugradakis remembered one word in the title of her book and typed it into Google. It wasn't even the top one in the search. Like It was like two rows down in Google Photos, and I clicked it, sat up so straight. Like I was laying down in bed reading, and I sat up so straight, and I was like, oh my god, this is it! I found it! Like I wasn't making it up, I knew it was real! That brought back like so much nostalgia, and now that I found it again, I like never want to let it go. For WNUR News, I'm Mika Allison. How can I forget you? Just where do I start? Thanks for tuning in to WNUR News. It's 619 Central Time. It's Wednesday, so you know what that means. It's time for the latest edition of the NU Sports Report. Here's Daniel Gross. Hi, I'm Daniel Gross, and it's time for your NU Sports Report this week. A quick look at what the Cats are up to around the Big Ten. Northwestern men's basketball's bubble has burst. Our week as a basketball school has come to an, an abrupt end. The Cats tumbled out of the top 25 rankings after two losses last week. Northwestern blew an 18-point halftime lead at Illinois on Thursday, despite a 35-point performance by Boo Booey. I guess other players need to score, too. 
They followed that performance with a 16-point loss at Maryland on Sunday. The Cats look to bounce back at Welsh Ryan Arena tonight against Penn State before playing Rutgers Sunday to end the regular season. They're currently second in the Big Ten standings heading into the Big Ten tournament. Despite their unranked status, the men are currently still projected to be a sixth seed in the March Madness tournament. As for the women, March Madness looks to be out of reach. At last in the Big Ten and just a 9-20 record, the women's basketball team would need a big run in the Big Ten tournament to earn a spot. The team kicked off their Big Ten tournament today against Rutgers, losing by 8 at the time of this recording. The Cats have especially struggled at three-point shooting with just a 260 percentage from downtown. In lacrosse, after a seven-point win against Marquette last Thursday, the third-ranked Cats look to continue their winning ways this Saturday at noon against Vanderbilt at Ryan Fieldhouse. Izzy Skane has been especially strong for the Cats with 27 goals and six assists so far this season. Madison Taylor earned Big Ten Freshman of the Week for the third week in a row after scoring two goals and pulling down eight draw controls against Marquette. The Cats also play at home Sunday against Youngstown State in what the Northwestern Athletic Department website lists as Senior Night. The Northwestern men's tennis team was ranked 12th in the most recent ITA rankings. This comes after a loss to Memphis Friday and wins against Vanderbilt and UIC Sunday. The Cats look to continue their winning ways at Columbia on Friday. The women, on the other hand, have struggled. The Cats lost Sunday in South Florida and followed that with a loss Monday against 7th-ranked Texas A&M. They look to bounce back with games this Friday against Kansas and Sunday at Indiana. That's it for the NU Sports Report this week. For more information about upcoming games as well as how you can watch the Wildcats live, visit www.nusports.com. I'm Daniel Gross, WNUR News. A look at the weather for tonight. Temps will get down to 34 degrees here on the lakefront with clear skies. Looking ahead, you can expect a high of 38 tomorrow, a little chillier than we've been used to for the past few days, with some consistent clouds. On Friday, temps will be about the same, but some potential snow flurries are on the way. Taking a look into the headlines, calorie counts have disappeared from the food labels in Northwestern's dining halls. The decision was made by campus dietitian Maddie McDonough. She says the calories were removed to better support the student body, especially those with eating disorders. The Evanston City Council recently voted to build a new facility for the Evanston Animal Shelter. The existing building was built in 1973 and is not large or modern enough to support the shelter's growing needs. CCC Holdings Incorporated was awarded the $6.85 million contract for construction. In Chicago's race for mayor, incumbent Lori Lightfoot has conceded from the race following a tight race yesterday. Candidates Paul Ballas and Brandon Johnson will participate in a runoff to decide Chicago's next mayor. The race has been closely followed across the country. Media outlets like the New York Times have features of the race as it's been unfolding. Finally, in nationwide news, the Supreme Court recently heard challenges to President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. It proposed to give approximately $20,000 in relief per borrower. Six Republican-leaning states and two individuals sued to stop the plan's rollout, and it will likely take months before the court issues an official ruling. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other news stories on our website, wnur.news. That's wnur.news. 
Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our producer today is Paz Baum, and our reporters are Brendan Preisman, Jessica Watts, Mika Ellison, and Daniel Gross. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Brandon Kondritz. Catch our next newscast on Friday, March 3rd at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.